the real estate company Epic Alliance collapses, leaving hundreds of homes being turned back to investors. What does this mean for the Saskatoon market? And is Saskatoon still a good place to invest? This is the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast, the show that highlights Saskatchewan real estate. Looking to buy your first house, your next investment property? Subscribe to never miss an episode. Here's your host, Ron Caroni. Welcome back to the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast and a returning guest realtor from Saskatoon, Scott Ziegler. Scott, thanks so much for coming on today. Thanks for having me again. We're going to have to maybe rebrand the show and do a co-host here right away. <laughs> yeah, I like the idea. Uh, Scott, just before we get into it, tell us a little bit about yourself as, uh, as a realtor and uh, your experience in Saskatoon. Yeah, 15, 16 years in the business. I had hair when I started. And um, yeah, I've been, I guess you can say a top producer for, for most of those years. And most of my business right now comes from uh, referrals, past clients, and social media has been a big, uh, a big improvement, I guess, on my business over the last couple of years. And I still, I still do uh, dog it out with expired listings and for sale by owners as well. So pretty well-rounded. Good man. And so we're really looking forward to a conversation today that's kind of breaking. It broke a couple of days ago, but essentially uh, it's been happening for uh, a couple months. I know you were one of the first realtors that I saw on social media talking about Epic Alliance and um, a, a little bit of uh, trouble in the real estate investing world here in Saskatoon. So Scott, let's start off with just a brief explanation of what we know about Epic Alliance and, and what's kind of happened. Yeah, there's there's lots of sort of explainer videos out there, but in in a nutshell, you know, uh, the the two ladies that started Epic Alliance were in the trades, electricians, and you know they were really about women empowerment, and they got into real estate investing like so many people do. I, I you know I reference back to you know the, your last couple of interviews how powerful real estate investing is. They started a company and started growing it, and as it grew, it evolved into a, a couple of different, I guess, business models or or channels. It really started as what they called their hassle-free landlord project, where Average regular people want to get into real estate, but there's a real stigma around it as how do I deal with tenants? Their whole model was tenants and toilets. How do I deal with tenants? What happens when a toilet breaks or a house floods or somebody doesn't pay their rent? And I think there's a fear of the regular average Joe to get into real estate. So they found a solution for that. And simply you buy a rental property you lease it to us as Epic Alliance, and then we will sublease it, manage it, take care of everything, and we'll guarantee you a particular rate of return on that investment. So the average person gets the opportunity to own an investment property and all the benefits that come with it, but don't have the hassle of managing it. And so then what they did is they they realized that they needed to get more inventory into their control to continue to grow their business. And so they started a second division, which even though it came second, it, 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 it became sort of first in the sense that it was a, what they called the fund to flip. And so essentially, Ron, you as the investor, you had $100,000 kicking around and you would give it to Epic Alliance. And in turn, Epic Alliance would buy a distressed property. And that's why most of their properties were, were lower priced um, core or hood neighborhood properties because they were usually distressed or in need of repair and they could get a good deal on it. They would buy that property with your funds as an investor. 
they would renovate that property, uh, give you a guaranteed rate of return on that. And then they would transfer that fund to flip into their hassle-free landlord project where now investor B would come along and say, well, I'll buy that property and you guys can you know, go through that program of managing it and renting it. And so they had a really, actually a really good and creative business model where they would find distressed properties, renovate them with other people's money, flip them into their hassle-free landlord project, sell them to investor B at, at usually an inflated price. So they were making money on, on all angles, and then they were acting as the property manager for that property. So in a nutshell, that is the Epic Alliance uh, business model um, that, that we know of right now. Right. And so when we're talking about the the scale of this, Scott, we I, I think w- what I kind of heard was there was 500 to 700 properties involved in this. Is that Was that kind of your understanding as well? Yeah, I've heard different numbers, but it, I would say 500, give or take. Okay. So now Epic Alliance, uh, I guess for lack of a better term, uh, went bankrupt. They, they returned all of these investments back to the original investors. So like Correct. you mentioned, if I had purchased the property, it's under their lease. Epic Alliance essentially gave back a lot of these properties to these investors. And what are we seeing during this transition phase from Epic Alliance handing back these properties to these investors? Well, we've seen investors go from a hassle-free landlord project to a major hassle landlord project. Uh, None of these people really ever intended to be landlords. Most of them live outside of the province. And so it's been a... It's been really heartbreaking, to be honest, for a lot of them. I've spoken to, I bet you I've spoken to 50 different investors, you know, over, like you said, the last several months, Um, anywhere from pure anger to I've had several crying on the phone. Um, They don't know what to do. A lot of them, a lot of these investments were done through RRSPs or mutual funds. Uh, Most people were taking their retirement portfolio and through a creative way, investing in these properties. And I spoke to one lady that had three properties. Every cent of their RRSPs are tied up in these properties and they're watching their retirement potentially be delayed by a long time because those funds are now tied up in distressed properties worth far less than they have invested in them and maybe not even sellable. So that just kind of gives you an idea of the this, this average investor that invested in this hassle-free landlord project now has this property. Some of them were in good condition. Some of them are in really bad condition. Some were in okay condition, but now they're forced to deal with these properties. They have to get you know, the taxes caught up potentially, utilities changed into their name, insurance in their name. Um, did they inherit the tenant or did they inherit a vacant property? You know, what's the value of this home? The first, I would say two weeks, and I'll be honest, it was it was a really challenging time for myself because I, me and my, my business partners did, I want to say 40 market evaluations. And I mean, they, they take time and you want to make sure you get them right. And you're dealing with a very fluid and, and, and emotionally charged situation. So all of these things got dumped onto these investors' plates. And the, probably the biggest kicker or the worst thing about it is that somehow they were able to sell these properties to these investors at over market value. So most of these investors right now own property or, or owe far more on the property than they're worth. worth. And 
you know, even further to that, most of them are in, you know, some of the worst neighborhoods in our city, which make it even that much harder to not only sell, but a challenge to rent them. And if they do sell them, how big of a loss are they willing to take? So it, it's really a bad news situation for, for most of the people involved from an investment side. So there are lots of people who you obviously found new property management and have now turned the properties over to um, to new people who are looking over it now. But there's also a lot of people I'd imagine who are looking to sell these properties. What are we going to see from an effect of dozens, hundreds of properties in these areas coming up for sale in a very short period of time, you know, at the same time, Scott? What, what is the effect of that? It, that was my initial concern. What's going to happen with two, three, four, five hundred 500 properties flood the market? But actually what we've seen is I would say 75 to 80% have elected not to put their properties on the market for reasons that I just mentioned. Most of them, you know, they, they, they almost need to rent them to recoup some of the money that they're losing. So if they can get a little bit of cash flow, a little bit of equity, you know, built up in them. So we're, first of all, we're not seeing that flood to the market. Um, and, and to your point about property management, there's been two or three that I know of for sure property management companies that have been born out of this situation just because sort of the big, if I can call them legacy property managers in the city couldn't handle the volume or didn't want the volume. So there has been other businesses that have literally been, been born and developed over this last couple of months. But uh, no, we don't, so far we haven't seen a flood to the market. But what I can tell you is that some of those core neighborhoods, Mayfair in particular, I know has a lot of new listings. Pleasant Hill has um, more listings than we would normally see. Meadow Green, some of these you know, uh, core, core neighborhoods that I don't know as if it's going to negatively affect the entire neighborhood or values over there. Because with real estate, you still need sound principles. You need a good house. It needs to be priced right. It has to be in a good area. And, and again, price is the biggest, you know, the biggest factor. If you still have those things in play, um, they will sell. I think that maybe the bigger question is how long. From a PR standpoint, what does this do to affect the, I think what was a very positive image of Saskatoon as being a good place to invest in rental properties? Do you think there's some long-term effects of this, uh, you know, if for people who are looking to invest in the province, if you're not living here? I think the short answer is no. You know, this was an isolated incident. I mean, large, you know, to be fair, but but isolated. So the the average investor that might say, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm in Kelowna right now and I, I really can't afford or the numbers don't make sense to invest there. What are some other markets to look in? And, and I'll put a plug in for Saskatoon. I mean, Saskatoon, I think pound for pound has some of the best initial upfront cost for what you're going to see as a return on investment, maybe anywhere in the country right now with the way you know prices are here. And so that investor that does their own due diligence comes in, finds a property, maybe manages it themselves long distance or gets connected with the local property manager is, is going to it's, there's, they're going to see no change. There's, there's no effect on them. And I've fielded, I field a lot of calls from investors and, you know, typically I would steer an investor out of Pleasant Hill or, you know, 
Meadow Green or, you know, some of these neighborhoods. I mean, yes, the, the values are lower over there, but there's a lot of other factors that, that go into renting over there. And if that's what they choose, then, then fine. But as a general rule, I don't think those neighborhoods make the best long distance um, neighborhoods to invest in. So talking about investors, as someone who is looking to buy a property, and how would they look to avoid getting in a situation like we just saw with Epic Alliance, where, um, you know, it's been kind of a kerfluffle, and it does kind of put that sour taste in your mouth of real estate investing. How does one avoid a situation like this, Scott? Well, I think due diligence. One thing that I was really surprised at seeing all the properties in, you know, again, some of these core neighborhoods, I, the question that I immediately asked was when these investors bought this property, even though it was hassle-free, hands-off, did nobody Google like Pleasant Hill or Meadow Green and, and get a sense of where they were investing and say, well, hey, I want to be in the program, but I'd prefer not to be in that area. And, and one of the other ripple effects that I'm seeing is I'm, I'm part of a couple of um, real estate network groups. And, and one of the big, I guess, selling features of investing in real estate or sales pitches, if you will, is other people's money. Hey, we just secured an apartment building, 12, 24 units. And now we're looking for two, three, four, five partners to come on board, put your money in and we'll, we'll manage it for you. And so I think more than anything, I think it might affect those types of situations. Situations because now people are going to think, well, you know, maybe should I not just be giving my money? And I think that's a cautionary tale, whether it's real estate, whether it's mutual funds, whether it's the stock market, you know, maybe crypto, whatever. Anytime you are giving your money or your asset to somebody else to manage, you better at least have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And I think that maybe too many of these investors saw a good sales pitch, maybe a too good to be true opportunity put their money in and they got burnt. And so I think the cautionary tale is whatever you have your hard earned money, time, energy, you know, asset involved in, you, you should be at least monitoring it as closely as you can and making sure that you're getting regular, you know, updates or statements on that for sure. Yeah, that's a great point. I really like that, that you have to be involved in the process and you have to have an understanding of what's happening. Scott, uh, you were recently on the podcast, so you've already kind of given your, your piece of advice. So I thought I'd give you a, a different last question here. Spring market is on the way. What is your piece of advice to buyers out there? Patience. I don't want, I don't want to sound like Gary V and say, patience, patience, you have time. But right now, it's definitely a challenge for buyers, depending on what area you're looking in, what price range you're looking in. But historically, starting really any time now, and I think we're already starting to see it, more inventory will come to the market. And if you have to absolutely buy today, I guess that's a different conversation. There's, there's strategies that we can employ to help you, you know, secure a property or find a property. But and, and Ron, maybe you can speak to this, but with interest rates certainly on the rise, with the Bank of Canada starting to talk very, very aggressively and bullishly about increasing rates, South Saskatoon, I don't think is necessarily primed like a big Toronto, Vancouver, Calgary 
to have the capital and the resources here to absorb an interest rate hike and see the, the market continue to, you know, to run. So I think that in Saskatoon specifically, as rates start to creep up, as inventory starts to also creep up on the market, I do think we're going to see a slowdown in our market. Nothing catastrophic, but I think that buyers are going to see if they can hold out an, a little while longer, another 30 days, 60 days, 90 days, they are going to find a property. And I think, you know, if I can flip that to the seller side of things, a market slowdown is not going to see a dramatic drop in prices, but we're going to start to see a leveling of, of prices you know, moving forward here, I, again, I think in the next 30, 60, 90 days, especially as we head the summer. I think as we see an increase in interest rates, depending on the type of borrower that you're dealing with, it won't make any difference if we see another 1% increase. But that doesn't necessarily stay true as you go up. You know, how much do interest rates go up before it starts to negatively affect the housing market? I think that there is a, a turning point that you do hit a point of the, the, the cost of borrowing money that it starts to, like you say, discourage people from entering the housing market at that time. So it'll be a very interesting question to see as we see rates start to creep up here. We've seen big jumps in fixed interest rates lately. So, you know, if someone does decide to take a variable rate, how much risk are they willing to take on? And are they going to wait to see if prices fall? So um, a lot of factors that kind of go into it. So it'll be really interesting to see over the next little while as we do see a return to normal with interest rates and maybe a little bit of higher volume uh, to see how it all shakes out. So Scott, I really appreciate you taking the time today and uh, sharing your expertise on the Epic Alliance situation and, and sharing some tidbits about Saskatoon investing. As always, I really appreciate it. So thanks very much. I appreciate the opportunity to come on again. Thanks for checking out this episode of the Saskatchewan Real Estate Podcast. If you like this episode and found it informative, please hit the like and subscribe button. If you're looking for more information on Saskatchewan real estate, check out our social channels below. I'm Ron Caroni, your Saskatchewan mortgage professional. Until next week, bye for now.